Welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast, where filmmakers become entrepreneurs. With my dad, he's a dork. Hi, and welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast. I'm your host, Scott McMahon. This is the podcast where we try to help filmmakers become entrepreneurs. I'm pretty excited about today's guest. It is Jason Van Orden from Internet Business Mastery. You know, I mean, for those who know, for those who are fans of Jason's, I mean, this is pretty huge because this is Jason Van Friggin' Orden. Anyway, Jason and his business partner, Jeremy Franzen, have been leaders in the online marketing business uh, for years. I've been listening to them since, I don't know, 2007 when I was in Southern California. Um, And I had followed Jeremy and Jason's work um, on and off for a few years. And I always remember that Jason would comment that, you know, he was in Portland, Oregon just, you know, living and doing his business in Portland, Oregon. And so when I moved up here, um, I just kind of kept that in the back of my mind. But it took me a while to get my um, website up and running and get this podcast up and running, this Film Trooper podcast up and running. So I thought, you know what, I'll just give it a shot. I'll give him, I'll just throw an email to Jason and see if he'd be interested in meeting up um, for uh, some free grub and drink and some, um, do a podcast. And he said yes. So I did a lot of groveling, but it worked. For sure. Anyway, so I was really lucky that this happened because those who are following Jeremy and Jason on Internet Business Mastery um, on their podcast have probably heard that Jason is leaving. He he and his family are moving to Europe. And you know what? You can't you can do this if you are running a successful business online like uh, Jason does. You can uh, live and work anywhere. So he is living proof that yes, this can be done. And uh, that's something to uh, aspire to for sure. So anyway, one of the other things I remember about Jason, he was always talking about his rock band um, and his past experiences working there. And I did, I stumbled upon some other website with him that he made a, a short 10 minute documentary film up here in Portland. So I was like, he's got to be, he's perfect. He's perfect for what Film Trooper is supposed to be about. And for those of you who are new to Film Trooper, the whole point is to try to bridge the gap between the uh, do-it-yourself independent filmmaking world and combine that with the strategies and techniques used by successful online internet business and marketing experts like Jason Van Orden. Anyway, I would have gotten this podcast out earlier, but, you know, things are not as easy as they seem. For instance, my web hosting company, which is HostMonster, which is essentially the same company as Bluehost, HostGator, and JustHost, they just create different branding names and image strategies to attract all sorts of customers. For instance, if you go to Bluehost, it looks more corporate, more business-like. But if you go to HostGator and, and HostMonster, it looks more fun and it's more inviting to simpletons like myself. So that web hosting company had a major power outage on some of its uh, VPS servers, which I pay for. And my sites, all my sites were down for two days. So you got to think of it in terms of like if you had a brick and mortar store and you were telling everybody, oh, come to my, you know, special like blowout sale or whatever. And everybody goes to your store and there's no store. I mean, nothing exists. It's not just like as if the store was closed. It was as if nothing existed. So you can imagine if I had put this podcast out like the day before this power outage. And I told everybody, oh, I got this amazing interview with Jason Van Orden of Internet Business Mastery and all your fans of Jason. You got to listen to this. It's 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 fantastic. He goes into the things that he, you know, may have not ever touched upon in any of his podcasts or interviews before. So if, if you're fans of Jason's, you're going to 
definitely love listening to this other side of them. And then they would go to listen to it on iTunes or if I direct them towards my website or if I directed it to some other sites I had, it would have been a total disaster because my host was down. I mean, none of the sites existed. So maybe there is a silver lining to this because it gave me enough time to actually implement a marketing strategy that Jeremy and Jason use on their Internet Business Mastery podcast, which every podcast that they share, they send their listeners to a site that they set up called freevideogift.com to learn more about all the stuff they're doing on Internet Business Mastery. Now, the strategy there is that when people are listening to podcasts, you know, they're probably running or walking the dog or doing something where they're not in front of the computer. So they got to have some sort of memorable URL that they can remember. Did I just do that double? Yeah, I just did remember, remember. So yes, you want to remember, remember a very easy URL to send your listeners to. So when they get back to the computer, they say, oh, you know what? I, yeah, um, instead of going to like internetbusinessmastery.com or slash forward slash episode 710 or something like that, um, they would go to freevideogift.com and get a very simple, straightforward landing page gift that sets them up into the whole world of all the teachings that that Jeremy and Jason do on Internet Business Mastery. So I've taken the time to build my own uh, free gift site, and it's called freegearguide.com. And that's freegearguide.com. And what that does, it will give you a list of equipment of everything that I use to make a feature film with no crew. Yep, no crew. And so it's a very simple, hopefully entertaining, informative, just list of equipment that I use to make this film. And you can get that at freegearguide.com. And that also will introduce you to the world of Film Trooper. So you don't have to remember, like, go to filmtrooper.com forward slash episode podcast 71000 or whatever it is. Just remember, freegearguide.com, and I got that strategy from none other than Jeremy and Jason. And so enough already. Let's get into the interview with Jason Van Orden of Internet Business Mastery. As we met up at McMenamin's at the Baghdad Theater in the Hawthorne uh, District in uh, Portland, Oregon. And um, yeah, I'm just excited, so please enjoy. (laughs) Anyhow... Actually, we're recording. No big deal. I'll just... Re- oh, nice. Yeah, so you, like we're having this whole thing. Hello. <laughs> so you can... <laughs> but the thing, you can just pop that in your face and that, and we're here at McMinniman's, so don't worry about the intro stuff, because I'll do all that crap later. Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. But actually, I'm really curious. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember the story of your first guitar? Yeah, I do. So what what'd you get? Like, mm-hmm. how old were you? <laughs> so this is a good story. Um, I was 17 years old. And so I started picking, I picked up guitar my senior year of high school. Oh, okay. And uh, it was Christmas break, and my mom's played guitar growing up, and so I was used to her playing lots of guitar when I was a kid. And I was just kind of bored. Sure, thanks. Please. Have a, Eat uh, the tater tots. Tater tots, yummy. <laughs> As I crunch into the mic. You know what? That's what makes this podcast so different than everybody else. <laughs> We're like waiters to We're cash. Drinking and eating. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, Christmas break, I needed something to do. Hmm. My mom, so I was like, Mom, can you teach me some guitar? So she opened up a book and just circled C, G, D, E minor, a couple like that. I was like, okay, here. And you play a lot of songs with those. Yeah. So I learned that. And then within a year, my brother and I wanted to start a band. 
and you know, I quickly learned there's only so much you can rock out on an acoustic guitar, which is what my mom had. Was in a so you were borrowing her, your mom's guitar? I was borrowing her guitar at the time. So I was like, okay, I need to get an electric guitar. <laughs> and so I worked two jobs that summer. One to earn, I was going to be going to college, so one was to earn cash to help pay for college. That was my full-time telemarketing job, which is horrible, but it paid the best for oh God, a, a college, <laughs> a would-be college kid. And then I'd go, after full-time there, I'd go to another telemarketing job. This one was surveys. I'd call people to get, have mm-hmm. them do surveys, so painful, like double job on the phone, but I wanted the guitar and the amp, so, and I had previously found the guitar I wanted. It was a Les Paul. Oh, oh um, you would be. You, like, you mess Les around. Paul, right. You- it was going to be... Didn't you do a knockoff or anything? No. You went straight the to real deal, oh, Yeah, wow. it was an Epiphone. Or, so I needed $800, $800 for that. Yeah. Um, $800 for that and $500 for the amp that I wanted. So I worked that extra job, and that was my first guitar. It was a lightning blue. Uh, oh. So it was like translucent lightning blue yeah. something kind of... Just, it was a pretty color. Was it brand new? Uh, brand new. Oh, bought God. it at a guitar shop in Salt Lake City. And... Uh, so that was that was my first guitar and then you know they say never sell your first guitar right mm-hmm. um, three years later my wife who we weren't dating her yet but right. we were in a band together um, she was a singer and she was wanting to get into more playing guitar and stuff too so she was looking to buy some more amps and instruments and for whatever reason I just thought I wanted a different color of, of Les Paul a wine red one so I was like okay well I'll sell my guitar to her <laughs> And I'll go get the wine red Les Paul, and so I did. I did that, and I, and uh, and then the way I tell this story, I mean, this is mostly for entertainment, is that then I, I regretted selling my first guitar, but I was like, well, I've already bought this other guitar. What yeah. am I gonna do? I need my guitar, my first guitar back. Um, so I had no choice but to marry her to get the guitar back. So, <laughs> so some guys pick up the guitar to get the girl. I picked up the girl to get the guitar. That's hilarious. So you, let me ask you: You still have it? Is it still in the house? No. Oh, <laughs> Sold it again. <laughs> Isn't that weird? So, I mean, the truth is I didn't. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I didn't. It was neither here nor there. I just, we started writing music together and, and got to be friends, started dating and stuff. But it's still fun to tell that version of my story of how we met. Really, I had nothing to do with getting the guitar back then. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, I still have, let's see. I think I still have the Wine Red Les Paul. I think we sold that again when we got married. I just had too many guitars. Like, yeah, I was going to ask you, how many guitars do you have in your stash? Or what well, was that, the most you had at one time? Oh, uh, I don't know, maybe five or something. Oh, I've never God. been, like, a ton of guitars. Yeah, yeah. But I'm a, right now I have three acoustics because, like, my mom gave me hers. Like, they were re- retired, and she's just not playing that much anymore. So she's like, here's my guitars. The one I learned on, her acoustic electric, my acoustic electric. So I have three, like, those. And then... Uh, after playing Les Pauls for a few years, I fell in love with PRS guitars, which are gorgeous, gorgeous. They sound awesome. I mean, in my last band, it was early 2000s, and so lots of bands were using them, like Incubus, he played okay, it, and yeah. Deftones, and I, like a lot of guys are playing PRS guitars. They're just gorgeous, gorgeous, and they sound awesome. And the cool thing is you can get a version where you can switch between humbucker double coil pickup and single coil pickup so if you want that mm-hmm. jangly yeah, single yeah. coil sound or you want the like crunchier so I was able to switch really easily between that and so I like that versatility a lot so now I don't know I have you know my wife has a couple acoustics and I have an acoustic and I think I still have the PRS and that wine red Les Paul so I don't know I still have four or five guitars right now oh my some gosh. of them are in storage because sadly I don't get to play as much these days oh, my man. business has taken over my life so 
it's my, it's my creative outlet now. It's my business. And that's funny you just segue to it. But I mean, I was it's I was going to ask you like, do you remember that the emotional feeling you had when you first bought your blue, your first guitar, and just having it alone in your room, just like. You know, you're hearing that power for the first time. Yeah, well, it was super exciting to be able to uh, plug into a, a real rock and roll amp and a, a real rock and roll guitar and actually get the... As we're writing these songs and we're copying them, because that's what you do at first when you're a musician, you're yeah. first writing songs, you end up copying the bands you know. And so at the time, it's early 90s where it's grunge, it's Alice in Chains, it's Tool, it's stuff like that. And again, like playing my mom's acoustic electric, even if I cranked the gain on her little PV yeah. amp for her acoustic, it's just like, it wasn't the... So the moment that I now I had the real deal, so Something where I could like detune that guitar and really crunch on it. It's like okay, now I'm feeling like a real rock and roller. And then so that was exciting. The next step after that is like when you get together with other bandmates. When it's like then that room of power, the drums and that, everything, that drum singer, that yeah, kicks right through your chest. Mm-hmm, yeah, and you're like. And I do, I do miss that feeling of rocking out on stage. I mean, even today, my, my wife and I will play every once in a while, but because it's just me and her and acoustic guitars and our friends are like, oh, play some of your songs for us. You know, we'll play acoustic versions of them, which is fine and they love, but yeah, it's not the same as being on stage with yeah. the amplifier behind you and the drums and the crowd and stuff. And so I, I do miss that. Let me ask you something. Here's something. How long was your hair at one point? Did you ever have uh, My dad hair? used to... Um, my dad used to say I had a Frodo haircut. <laughs> I never had like hair down to my shoulders. Okay. But if I grow my hair out, it gets really curly yeah. and um, and kind of wavy, and yeah. so it's kind of Hobbit right. hair. And then, and, and about the time we had our what was our final band that we've had together, my wife and I, um, you know, it was like 2000, two, three, four, and that was when the first Lord of the Rings movies were like okay. coming out. So that's why my dad's like, yeah, Jason and his Frodo do. Besides <laughs> um, so about it, you know, it was, you know, I had longer sideburns and, but never like shoulder length hair. I, I never grew it out that that's, long. That's great. So, yeah. Do you remember like, um, like in um, storytelling, um, they talk about like this, uh, the way it kind of works out in storytelling is like you have your hero, your mm-hmm. protagonist mm-hmm. has the, we're introduced to his, the rules of the world or the mm-hmm. ordinary world. And then that protagonist has like, um, in order to make it a compelling story, you're supposed to have like this sort of saving the cat moment, mm-hmm. you know, where, where the audience would go, you know what? They did something so nice as saving the cat and within the first five minutes. So I'm mm-hmm. going to buy into this character and the story for the rest of the journey. It's likable. Yes, likable. Mm-hmm. Do you remember? Do you have any save the cat moment you can remember as a kid or anything? Saving the cat for, what do you mean, for my... For my... just you personally, just like, <clears throat> do you ever remember doing like a, a good deed of some sort? And like what, what, how that felt? Uh, let's see, that's an interesting question. This is a chance for people to like you. Yeah, it's like, are you trying to make me likable here? Um, well, you know, I was in Boy Scouts as a kid, right? So you're taught okay. to do good deeds. No. That works. I, was, I wasn't a very good Boy Scout. I, I never got my Eagle Scout or any or anything like that. Um, yeah, I mean, growing up, uh, you know, my parents, they, they had us going to church and things like that. So we were always taught, like, uh, regular doses of service are... Okay. are, are you know, a good part of life. So that definitely was something that uh, I was taught growing up was consider, you know, the, the feeling of others, the, the, the impact on others, how your actions impact others, you know, having that part of your life that's about more than just yourself uh, and things like that. So, I mean, I don't know if I can think of a... Well, I don't know to put you on the spot. A particular experience, I, I could probably think of many, but... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you actually, you know, in, in all honesty, like what you and Jeremy have done, 
with your uh, your business and what you guys have done on the online space. And you know, I don't think you probably realize, like maybe you do, like how impactful you've been for so many people. Because I'm sure there's a lot of quiet listeners, you know, of your show, but still are out there taking what you guys are teaching, what you're sharing. And then applying it, you know, and then like you say, you, you have these stories once in a while, somebody comes back and just tells you thank you for after, you know, quietly listening for so long and then just saying, I've been I've been applying what you guys have been teaching or then or whatever it is and then coming in and joining the mastermind or right. your, your academy group and stuff like that. So that in a sense, you know, is you know, realistically that's your gigantic save the cat. It's like you, I don't think you guys realize like how much influence maybe you do, but it just really is. Well, you do, and it's funny you bring that up because uh, at first I don't think I did. So when Internet Business Mastery is first starting, uh, I was in New York City and. I had been an entrepreneur for two or three years, and I was still trying to find, because I dabbled in real estate investing, things like that, and I knew it wasn't for me. I was still trying to find that thing that really got me exciting, and podcasting was was really that thing, which led to starting Internet Business Mastery. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. And at the same time, my wife was going to school uh, to be a master's in social work. So she was getting her master's degrees in social work to become a psychotherapist. Yeah, yeah. So in my mind, I felt like, man, she's doing like this very noble thing. She wants to continue this career to like help people live their most full life overcome whether it's depression or whatever limiting beliefs or you know things like that like how how noble is that that she knows this thing that she wants to do to impact the lives of others and here I just felt like I'm just a business dude I'm just like one of these selfish business guys trying to make money on the internet interesting and I don't think I was giving myself credit for the fact and now and now we put this to the forefront very much so because it and it's true it's just like actually no you know I'm not and it was probably because I hadn't truly realized the business that not only was fulfilling for me, but would have my biggest, where I could make the biggest impact in the world. And I started realizing, wow, the biggest, not only the thing that fulfills me the most, but where I can have the biggest impact in the world is to share with not only my own experience, but the knowledge and and resources and things that I have found in my entrepreneurial experience, sharing that with others who want to go on the same journey to find more freedom and more fulfillment and more purpose in their own lives. Um, you know, through whether it's through through business or other mm-hmm. things, um, and so I started realizing, yeah, actually, I, I am on a bigger mission here, trying to impact people's lives. And while my wife is learning to be a therapist to free people from their limiting beliefs or their, you know, the things that haunt them from their past, or you know, all the different reasons people go to, to therapy. I'm doing my own version of helping people free themselves from maybe a status quo that wasn't what they really wanted in life or, you know, free them from a a job that's sucking the life out of them and not really a full self-expression of themselves. And so I started realizing, yeah, actually my business does have a greater purpose, something that fulfills me and that is bigger than me and the impact it has. I'm not just this selfish capitalist trying to make money right, right. On, the, on the internet. Um, and so that was a relief to realize that it's you know, like, I oh, to, good. I have to say, I think, like, with you guys, um, I found you guys in probably 07, I think, mm-hmm. um, after I lost my job. And, you know, that story is the same. Like, mm-hmm. you work in a cubicle, corporate world. I was there, you know, successful, what, 12 years in a corporate gig, but then stuff happens. And I was just, like, in a need to, like, wait, wait, there's, you know, the way business works, like, there's something else here I'm missing, you know, wherever right. I was in age. Of course, you know, the podcasts uh, were great because, you know, walking the dog or whatever you were doing, mm-hmm. I stumbled upon you guys, uh, and both of you have, uh, there's just a, like, you've heard it before, but just a welcoming, warm um, invitation for the audience just mm-hmm. to share, just follow your advice, your journey, you know, it's, it didn't come off like, 
we're the radio show. Here we are. Right, I am, right, you know, right. <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Nothing put on or nothing. It was like, hey, yeah. guys, here's, here's what's here. And it was, um, and I followed you. But it's interesting because you were talking about real estate investing because I dabbled in that for a year last year. Mm. And um, just because of just bouncing around as an, uh, as a freelance artist, you know, mm-hmm. nothing's ever consistent. Right. And so it's one of those things like, oh, God, do I do this? Do I, you know, mm-hmm. get involved? Like, I see it. I understand, like, how this works. Right. Maybe I should just go for it. But it's actually funny because I had one house, like, it was under contract. I was trying to get it, you know, flipped, and I, it just didn't happen. So I had to, like, you know, just get rid of get, um, honor the contract uh, terms and just get rid of it. I didn't have any money down, nothing. But I saw, like, the potential, like, oh, this actually could work, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because in, creatively, like you said, the creative outlet, something happened where I had a little bit amount of money, you know, I was going to, like, do I, do I spend it on training? Or, and I had, like, this little bit of chunk of change, like, I think I'm just going to make a movie. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so I made this movie for 500 yeah. bucks with no crew. Oh, nice. But that opened the floodgates for mm. creatively and opened, like, seeing all the years of, like, reading your stuff and listening to your stuff, of applying it. Like, basically, it took me a while to figure out, like, connecting the dots. Like, oh, right. I mean, this actually could work. Mm-hmm. So um, it was really a fascinating dream. But anyway, I was curious of what you... Just a side note, like I, I remember hearing you talk about real estate investing. What was your experience like? Well, I mean, at the time, it was I was looking for freedom from the uh, from employment, and that was what was most in the forefront of my mind because the books that I was reading at the time that were opening my mind to the non-employee world yeah. were books like Rich Dad Poor Dad, which he right. talks a lot. It's not very a how-to book, a big mindset book, but throughout he talks a lot about real estate as a we, as a means to making wealth or finding freedom from the nine to five. It was because you. It was because of you that's got me to read that book too. Really? And I read. I totally got it. I was like a little late to the game, but I was like, mm-hmm. oh wait. Yeah. Ah, it, it was. Yeah, it was big, like, oh, I get it. Okay. A lot of wonderful principles in that book that we just don't get taught in normal society and school and things. Um, so that's why I ended up dabbling with real estate, because I was like, well, that's what he talks about. I guess that's what I should do. Yeah. But I just, you know, I hadn't even been open to the idea of, like, information marketing or marketing on the Internet or how can I make money more as a, as a teacher, as a, as a guide, a coach, those kinds of things, which I do now. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, it was a critical part of my journey, I think. I don't know that I would say, oh, I wish I hadn't wasted time on it because by all means I learned a lot about myself and business and entrepreneurship. I did make some money at it. But, you know, when I realized this isn't for me, it's not, my ulti- it's not ultimately fulfilling me. Uh, I need to find something else. You know, I, I kept looking and, and jumped at the opportunity when I started learning other avenues. Now, some people, their strengths and fulfillment might totally be conducive to real estate investing, and that's oh, great. Yeah, yeah. It's a wonderful opportunity. It's not that I don't think there's not money there. I can definitely see at some point in my future, real estate investing mm-hmm. should be a part of my wealth portfolio again. Right. I'll probably hire other people to do it for me. Not, well, you, but, at least you know the, the principles of it. Though. Yes, and so I, you know, but I don't want to be the one putting the deals together. That's just not my strengths, and that's okay. I'm okay yeah. with that. And so there's two key experiences there. You know that that kind of in the stories I just shared. So the story of doing real estate and, and realizing this isn't for me is that story of you need to find the thing that that fulfills you, that gives you energy. So at the end of the day. You know, you can't help but not do it. It's the kind of things that you feel, my day's not complete if I don't do this. And for me, that's 
uh, teaching and, yeah. and sharing knowledge and resources and interacting with people. And, and like you said, what we do on our podcast, sharing our journey and having that impact and give a spark of an idea. For me, it's not, oh, I got to call a bank and wheel and deal. Some get a, some people get a high off of that. They love like negotiating yeah. and wheeling and dealing. And how do I creatively match this property with this financing? And that's not me. Right. So find what fulfills you. And, you know, that should be a part of your pursuit. And then the story of my wife and feeling like, oh, she has such a noble meaning and, and a purpose to what she's doing. I just hadn't realized, oh, I have found, a, you know, finding that meaning and purpose that, that you put into what you're doing that does impact the lives of the others, that they value in a way that they're willing to pay you in order for you to live that purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now matching those two things together, that's where I've come to find my current business, Internet Business Mastery, which not only fulfills me in a way that real estate investing never did, because yeah. I get to teach and I get to interact with new entrepreneurs and but then also that has that bigger purpose and drive that wakes me up every morning. I want to help people have a higher level of freedom and fulfillment and purpose in their lives. And, and entrepreneurship is a great way to do that. Um, and so anyway, fulfillment and purpose, I think, are two key things we got to find in whatever our life pursuit is. And whether people are listening to this going, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur or not, those two lessons still apply. Whatever your career or artistic pursuit, you got to find that fulfillment. You got to find that purpose, or else you're going to wake up every day begrudgingly going about what you're doing and just not fully expressing who you are in the world. I think you guys have done such a great job with that in terms of talking about your single motivating purpose, you know, and just or you know, putting a new spin on it. Like that's the terminology of the, of the why, mm-hmm. you know. Of, and it really does try to, like, you know, those who are listening, those who are, like, you know, you hear that that old saying, like, when the student's ready, the teacher appears, you know, mm. type of thing. Mm-hmm. So when you're open to it, you really understand, like, oh, what's my purpose? I had to stop back. And it's, it's interesting because in the film world, it's, um, that's what this audience is really here. It's a mm-hmm. lot of filmmakers that are really kind of still taught, like, an old way of doing things, which is, you know, get your figure out here's how ways you can finance or do crowdfunding or whatever it is make your little your art Mm -hmm. then take it to like a film festival how to market at the film festival and like here are the distribution deals and like with a very small market of uh, individuals or companies that actually have control over the old ways of buying uh, film film Mm -hmm. product and um, the new way that you guys are talking about new media and all that kind of stuff is that I was thinking to myself like well you can actually now make a film for just as much as it is to record an album right. or whatever it is, right? Yeah, Or make, make a book. And the online marketing tools, you know, have proven there's, you know, every, anybody can be an author, mm-hmm. so, but there's a whole subset of, like, how that works. Anybody can, you know, write their own music and have their own band. That works. Film is really finally sort of coming in that those domains now because the physical production values or the the tools are so inexpensive that you can make something for relatively less expensive. Right. And so a lot of the filmmakers probably listening here, they still li- they still had this thinking like, get my film to film festival, get a distribu- distribution deal, mm, right. boom, done. Yeah. I'm in the system, whatever that system might be, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and the system's getting you know smaller and smaller as Hollywood decides. There's only a few, what, it was like five, six um, major studios that own everything, you know? So that's a whole other world, like, if you decide to play in that world. Mm -hmm. And um, what's really great is to have, to those who are not, don't even know this world exists, of like online entrepreneurship, to say, look, these are business principles that are Mm -hmm. being used in so many different industries that can maybe be applied to the independent film world. And Absolutely. So segueing that, I want to talk about your film. Now, you did a documentary uh, with the local, is here in Portland, the mm-hmm. local dance group, uh, yeah. group uh, Polaris. Yeah. 
Um, and I caught a little bit, you know, your blog and your and your podcast stuff like that. How was that? Exp- like, what what was the thing that got you going? You know, I'm going to make a film. <laughs> <laughs> well, it had always been on my bucket list to to make a, a short film, and. So a few things just happened to converge at the same time. That was in the back of my mind. I want to make a short film. And I've always been a, a guy who likes to have a creative outlet, um, having been a musician. Um, and even though you know business can feel like it's a very left-brained, whatever, world, there's a lot of creativity to, to that, too. But I did want an outlet outside of, of my business for some creativity. I was feeling that at the time. And then also... Uh, I'm somebody who just loves to learn constantly new skills and new things. And so I just happened to go here locally. There's a wonderful organization called Northwest Documentary that teaches classes um, to filmmakers, teaching them how to use everything from practical skills of using a camera and editing and things like that to storytelling. And and it's mostly for the, the format of non-fiction, you know, documentary, documentary storytelling. Is this at the Northwest Film Center? No, it's actually different than Northwest Film Center. Okay. NWDocumentary.org. Okay. And uh, they, I mean, they do some stuff sometimes together. But it's just a non-profit organization. And I, one weekend, my wife was out of town, and I was just looking for something to do. And I said, like, okay, <laughs> I've been working on my business all day. I need to get out. Um, we're sitting here right now in the McMenamin's Pub. I, I happened to go to a different McMenamin's Pub at the time, the Mission Theater. Mm-hmm. And because they were having, it was called the Homegrown Doc Fest. It's like, hey, local filmmakers sharing their short documentaries. I was like, that sounds interesting enough. Let's go see it. And and when I went there, I, what I found out was these these all the films that were being shown that evening were by filmmakers who, ten weeks earlier, um, hadn't started a film. A lot of them had never even made a film before. Some of them had, but a lot of them had not. Some of them hadn't even picked up a camera before. In a matter of 10 weeks, they had made their short documentary between 5 and 10 minutes, and they were now showing it at this small film festival that night at the Mission Theater. And some of them were rough. You know, they're like, okay, you know, (laughs) that could use some help. And some of them were fantastic. And most of them told really good stories. And, you know, obviously, if you have a great story, even if some of the technical stuff's not perfect, it's still very compelling, right? But regardless, I got to the end of that night going, that was freaking impressive what these people did in 10 weeks. And so at the end, the, the guy who runs the thing gets up, you know, and he's just saying, you know, we run every quarter, we run this course, you know, with all these people taking this course. And so if you're interested, we'd like to invite you to, uh, thank you, steak salad, yummy. It's just a water. I'll take a water too, please. Um, and so I was just like, I, I got to do this. I mean, as many creatives know, sometimes you need that thing that's going to hold your feet to the fire, give you a deadline, and make you actually put something out the door, right? Put the album out the door, put the film out the door. I was like, well, what better way than to take a 10-week class? And I love the fact that at the end of the class, I knew it was going to be shown, right? That is pretty cool. Uh, which is a rare opportunity, really. Yeah. I, you know, I think. So I, was like, I called him up and I said, I, I, want, I want to buy a slot. And it was only like... I don't know, two or three hundred dollars or something at the time. Mm-hmm. It might be a little more now, but I didn't know what my story was going to be. I, I had dabbled in film editing, mostly just like stuff for my family or whatever. Uh, clearly, I'd been a musician, so like recording and editing and technical stuff was not a problem for me. But I, I just wanted, mostly, I wanted the accountability of the process to get it done. And so I just went to the first class, not even knowing what my 
But you know, it's like week one, you're like, okay, let's start thinking about ideas. And next week, you're going to come back with five ideas. And so I was brainstorming ideas, and I need, I, and I knew I needed a hook and a good story. And like you were saying earlier, like who's the character going to yeah. be? What's the transformation that character is going to go through? Um, is there the I, I, no, I didn't call it this at the time is there the saving the cat moment or whatever right. like it's all it's a famous uh, that's from a famous um, screenwriting book it's is called it Saving the Cat, the cat. Uh, and the, the screenwriter has since died but he has an amazing he left a, a, behind an amazing legacy but that right. was a great takeaway it always right. reminds you like does your character have a save the cat moment yeah. even he's the most like anti-hero like there's got to be something that you're you feel like okay mm. as an audience I'm going to carry this through but even anyway. Walter White had a, a moment at least <laughs> yes. in, in season one where he was likable <laughs> where his pursuit was noble it right. might not have turned out that way but he was yeah. <laughs> yeah but yeah so along those lines I ended up deciding this dance company that a friend of ours a really good friend of ours danced for and they did have a kind of a saving the cat part and it's not only was at their story of their art and I knew it would be visually interesting it's like dance okay I don't have to worry about it being visually interesting yeah. on, on the film but they also had very much a uh, I guess you'd say like a community outreach humanitarian part of what they do they save the cat moment right yeah. and so they like part of the not only do they have a dance company but then they have this school and they have classes for um, all the way down to little kids to you know, people in wheelchairs and, and they have uh, what they call their all-access program. Every, so anybody and everybody can come into the studio and move and dance in whatever way fits them, even if you're not you know, fully abled body. So there's that part of their story to make them you know, likable and a little bit different and interesting. So uh, I chose that as my as my topic. It was really and good. I did interviews and yeah, yeah. things like that. It was, it was, it was fun to just... Yeah, hold, again, hold my feet to the fire and and dive in headfirst and say, okay, well, let's, we're going to make something. Hopefully it turns out good. Uh, well, it is. You did a really great job. I think because um, one of the favorite shows my, my family and I watch together is uh, so, so You Think You Can Dance. Mm, yeah. I just love watching you know, mm-hmm. the, the art form and then you know, watching the local dancers do what they do. It's, you know, it can be very relatable. And mm-hmm. you made that in 09, right? Yeah, it's been a few years now. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it, I have to commend you. A very, very good job. So. Oh, thank you. So, Well, and, and storytelling is such a great skill. Yeah. Whether you're a filmmaker or an artist of any kind or even in my business. Like marketer. St- storytelling is like probably one of the most important things I do as a teacher and a marketer. And so I wanted to hone more of my storytelling skills, and that definitely did that. It's funny, like this um, this podcast. Oh, please go ahead and eat while while I talk for a sec, and then we could just take a break and eat. You sure. know, <laughs> but it's interesting. The um, Ed Burns, who's the writer director, the, the actor is married to uh, you know uh, Christine Turleyton, mm-hmm. and he um, there's a like a, there's a set of uh, screenwriting books or storybooks that a lot of uh, just filmmakers have they read. You know, that's sort of the go to right. books. You know. And, um, Which I should probably read some of those. Oh well, I I can give you a list. Okay. Or I can give you awesome. This. Uh, actually, I I meant to ba- create a, essentially what I my former questions I've asked other guests on my podcast mm-hmm. uh, kind of follow along the lines of all stories have sort of a all good stories have somewhat of a, a, a formula to it, right? You know, and. And one of the main questions I ask a lot of people is like, why do you think we need stories? Like, mm. what is this like human emotional need that we even need stories? You know, mm-hmm. and um, 
a lot of it a lot of just makes sense to the world. I mean, it's almost like a like you wake up in the morning, you wake up in the morning, you have your ordinary world, you know. So mm-hmm. you're like, okay, but then something happens, like or you do something in the morning, like save the cat from falling on a tree in your neighbor's yard, you know. Right. So like whatever you do, that sets you up. But then an inciting incident happens that changes the direction of the protagonist's story right. what happens in the day you might have your day planned out but something happens right you know plumbing breaks you know somebody robs the house next door or something mm-hmm. like that and then um, they also talk about mentors uh, like the Obi-Wan Kenobi characters the wizards right. the wise wizards you know and they, they, they are the ones who lead the protagonist through the first threshold which is like they're leaving the ordinary world to go on this journey right but the, but every character has like to have like a, a moment of refusal like oh I can't do this yeah. you know which is but the mentor says come and then you go through the first journey and then they have a series of like uh, fun and games or the series of like uh, obstacles where it builds up so they have to all, all characters have to have like the dark moment of the soul mm-hmm. like the, or, or the inmost cave where they go to the deepest darkest cave to meet the last monster mm-hmm. you know and they slay that monster you know they slay the, the the conflict and when they come out of it they return with this elixir and so they return to the ordinary world with this elixir with this knowledge and that's sort of the denouement the resolution mm-hmm. and like all sort of stories somewhat follow this and even people in their real life they wake up in the day, you know, in the morning they have, they have a plan. Or like Mike Tyson says, everybody has a plan to get punched in the face. <laughs> and then right, and you right. go and you do your thing and you've, you, you're, you have the challenges, you have your mentors. And then by the end of the night, the idea is at the end of the night, you made it. Whatever that is, like my wife comes home from a long day of work and she's just like, has to, sh- you know, vent and share all these stories of like, oh my God, this is what happened, this way. But just, right. everybody just needs that decompression moment at night. Just to be like, okay, now we go to sleep and get up and see the next story the next morning. Right. And so I think stories in general just sort of help us make sense of our own world. And if we could see, you know, examples or, you know, uh, through stories and fables, you know, once in a while when you're ready, you're like, oh my gosh, it's like a movie or this is stuff I learned or I'm actually, I remember reading about this or seeing about this and right. now I can apply this to this, this moment in time where I can make a choice, you know. So that's just what I've learned about storytelling. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, and that's a great framework. And as a, a marketer and a teacher, I spend, probably the thing I spend my time doing more than anything is influencing, right? Whether that's influencing people to change their way of thinking or change their behavior in order for them to get what it is that they want. And in the case of my business, it's helping them get out of a job that they don't enjoy and start a business. Or whether it's me at some point influencing them going, look, I have this product and it's and it's for sale and I've put together this system and a framework. And so if you buy it, I want to step you through like it's our how to start a business product. So, you know, it's influence to buy, influence to take action, influence to change their lives. And I would say most artists have some desire to influence people in a way, whether it's to incite an emotion or teach something or introduce a possible new way of thinking. And so the reason I try to use story as much as possible is I think we're very naturally wired as human beings to resist influence and change because that could be dangerous. It could be different, right? 
Um, and so the moment, like, if I just walk up to somebody and start saying, like, oh, you should, you know, consider quitting your job and a business can help you get, like, immediately their left brain starts kicking in and going, oh, well, I heard this statistic that nine out of ten businesses fail. And, right. they did, you know, the, the immediate thing is to, like, negate it and, and, and just to want to be able to say, oh, I don't need to give that my attention. I just want to go on with my day. But if I start telling a story about... You know, when I, when I was, you know, like, a, that's the story I love telling is the Sunday Night Dread story of, you know, my wife and I on Sunday playing music, having a great old time, and then suddenly 7, 8 o'clock rolls around, and this feeling of dread starts, you know, coming over me because I realize it's time to go to bed soon, which means getting up in the morning and going to a job that I really don't enjoy, and I talk, you know, I'll tell a story of hitting the snooze button over and over again, and... Now, now all of a sudden the person, instead of their left brain and the statistics of 9 out of 10 businesses failing, now they're putting themselves into my shoes, going, oh, that's just like me. And their brain is, their mind is now opening up to the influence that I want to have. And so that's one of the big reasons that I use storytelling so much in, in my business is it helps me be a better influencer and hence have a bigger impact yeah. in, in the world, right? That makes total sense. I mean, it's always... You always love it when, like, those art forms are, like, telling stories, you know, and and it's, like, those who are really good presenters, like, the ones who, like, have those pauses that, like, make you kind of lean in, mm. to, <laughs> almost like whispering, They're like, right. you know, let me tell you something, mm. and there's a pause, right. <laughs> it's like, did you ever hear about the one, about this guy, you know, yeah, it's yeah. like, it's like you're, all of a sudden you're enthralled, like, well, wait, 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 what happens, and then you... It's like just a little bit of mystery, a little bit of mystery, reveal, reveal, reveal. And then if you can leave them with a great theme, which all the stories have, like if, they, if, if they have a theme, an overall theme of like that carries with you outside of like that lingers. And you just remember that story or that thought. It, it makes you, it changes your world. It changes perspective. Right. You know, yeah, after reading Rich Dad Poor Dad, same thing. Real estate investing. Mm-hmm. I'll just make videos for my company. That's what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. And then it just, but the looking for your purpose is like you being someone of an artist uh, who's made music, there's this weird kind of almost curse. Like you just have to succumb to it. It was like, ah, crap, I'm an artist. Mm. Like, you know what I mean? It's always like, ah, geez. Mm. You know, like for whatever it is, then till I die, there'll be this overwhelming need to like create, find some way to create something, anything. I too myself play. I played in a. I had a band. It was horrible. It was a great experience the times we had it. And so I'll, I'll make my own music for my films or something at home. But you know, but I just find myself that that need. Right. Like I find myself playing the guitar just because it soothes me. You know, right. uh, drawing or doing what I was doing just to soothe me, and then and all this other stuff. And then, and it's and so I'm like stuck this moment like. An artist of something. I, I that's what it is. Crap. I it's in me. I got to do it. Right. But now, I'm trying to find realistically how to make a business. So is is the the oh crap moment? Is that because you're like of the stigma of like oh it's always a struggle to make money as an artist? It's, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of like almost like a curse. You feel it. Like uh, you know, and, and honestly, out in the world, I mean, with right now for artists, it's different for authors because. Um, the ebook digital revolution, of, and and you're beginning to see more and more real world practical ways of making a, a living and 
and how to make a successful book launch or those types of things. Um, those are happening. In the music world, which I wanted to ask you your opinion about, is your you know what you think. It's like all these independent bands, like they'll throw up their music, you know, SoundCloud, whatever it is, and, and start a social gathering around their, their stuff, um, pump out a few music videos inexpensively, and then, yeah, try to hit the road. I mean, it's promotion, promotion, because people want to have that real world, real life experience that you can't duplicate in any sort of digital sphere, you know? Right. And then filmmaking is the last one to jump into that. Like I said, it's like they're still set in this mindset of get investors, make a big movie, you know, right, sell yeah. it, sell it. But there's just so much media that the returns on it, just mathematically, business-wise, don't make sense. And then the business accounting of Hollywood is ridiculous. Like, and, and it doesn't favor the independent, you know. And so there's a major shift in the industry in terms of, you know, where do we go? And the whole thing is like... Any one of us could make stuff and put it up. Distribution is not a problem. It's right. now being heard. It's, it's, it's The problem is being noticed me. Getting notice attention. Me. That's it. Mm -hmm. It comes down to marketing. Well, really, in all those changes that are happening, <clears throat> the exciting thing is I think there's a ton of new opportunity. The last time I was actively promoting a band, myself as an artist, as a musician, would have been like 2002, 2003. And a lot. that's where I figured out I actually am good at marketing was through my band, being a musician. And Facebook still wasn't a thing. It was still kind of MySpace was the thing back then. Um, and even just two short years before that, it was mp3.com, which is now right. gone. <laughs> there was a big thing in the turn of millennium for new music. Um, but anyway, so that's all to say that the amount of opportunity to get attention and promote yourself online, even in the decades since I've been an active musician, those opportunities to get seen have exponentially gone up and it might feel like oh there's so much more noise now but the good news is that even if you just learn some basic uh, techniques and tools for getting attention online you can start standing out I think relatively quickly and uh, you guys good over here? Yeah, thanks. And even though like those opportunities have all fractured and it feels like there's so much more noise, I think it's because consumers are becoming more habituated to being able to find very specifically whatever they want to their tastes in music, to their tastes in film, to their tastes in blogs that they read and media that they consume. And new models are coming out with Hulu and Netflix and all this other stuff, right? So. I think the distribution channels are going to continue to proliferate. You know, huge opportunities with sites like YouTube. I mean, look at the musicians and media creators that are making healthy livings now using stuff like YouTube. And uh, so you're saying, you know, wanting to apply business principles in order to say, well, how as an artist do I get seen? And here's here's how I would boil it down into an easy framework. This is one of the first things that we teach our our business students. So I'll, I'll share it in the business framework, and then I'll immediately relate it back to how it applies to art. So to make money as an entrepreneur online, very simply, you need there, there's something we call the value cycle. And and when you put this value cycle together, you've got a readily uh, available 
way of just making money doing something you absolutely love online. And it all starts with it all starts with you and figuring out what it is that are your unique talents and abilities. And so that fulfillment stuff I was talking about, what your purpose is in the world, the impact that you want to have, and, and spending some time with some real self-knowledge. I mean, I don't think it's any surprise when you when you read books like by Stephen King on writing or or um, you know, uh, Stephen Pressfield, you know, the, the the War of Art and stuff like that, you know, about how some of the best artists, they're, they're, they spend some very introspective time digging into themselves and finding out who they are and what their voice is and what they can bring to the world. And it's the same thing as an entrepreneur. Um, so you got to get that stuff solid so you don't end up either A, making art that's just bland and stupid it doesn't stand out, or B, making art that you hate because you didn't take the time to figure out what would fulfill you. But then after that, you, you, the the reality of making money, whether you're creating a product as an entrepreneur or art as an artist, is there's an audience that has to appreciate and consume this art. And art can come from a easily come from a place of feeling very self-indulgent because there are a lot of people that do art for themselves, for the feeling it gives them and the fact that they've created something that they love themselves. And I think that's great. But if you want to make money as an artist, you got to create something that people want. It's the same thing as an entrepreneur. Like the first thing we say is like, look, you can't just say, I've got this great product idea and I'm going to go find and convince people to buy it. You got to start with the audience as a business, as an entrepreneur and say, Who's the audience I want to serve best? Who do I like to work with most? What are their needs? What are their pressing urgent pains or unfulfilled desires that I can create a product or service to fulfill that for them? And it's the same thing as an artist. You got to know, well, what audience do I want to speak to most? You know, so for me as a business person, as an entrepreneur, I like working with other new entrepreneurs. Like, so I specifically use my skills and talents and things that fulfill me to create products and services to help other new entrepreneurs get started. That's the audience I have chosen to, because I understand them, I know them, I love working with them, I love communicating with them, I love seeing the light bulb go off and they're, I, you know, tonight I'm going and speaking uh, at a college to some new, you know, people who are about to graduate, maybe thinking about being entrepreneurs, and I love that I get to go and do that and hopefully give them some little piece of information that's going to turn on a light bulb and make them go, oh my gosh. Maybe I need to rethink the direction of what I'm doing in my life. There's a whole new opportunity out there, right? And I think we want that as artists, too, is we want an audience to go like, wow, that really made me think or that inspired me or made me feel something, right? So, yes, art can be somewhat... And it needs to be self-indulgent, too. you got to enjoy the process of making it, but you got to know who that audience is. And I think the more specific you are and the more in tune with that audience you are, you know, the better off, the better off you're going you're going to be and so you know what is it that audience is going to enjoy most about your art what is it going to make them feel what is that 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 pain that they're feeling or that passion that they have that they're going to connect with when they see your art when they hear your song or see your film or whatever now you know in documentary filmmaking that becomes a lot easier because you know like you know it's it's more obvious i should say you know with a lot of times a documentary has a very specific lesson that's trying to be conveyed or information that's trying to be conveyed. You know, maybe with fiction writing and, and narrative, it's a little bit different. But still, you know, in the end, you know, I think Stephen King knows very intimately who his audience is and what kind of, like, you know, thrills or escapes or entertainment that they're looking for. And he knows how to speak to that that audience, which comes with time. So you, it's then connecting you with that audience and how you're going to create value for that audience. So you got to come out of yourself now after being so introspective with yourself and you're right, you got to come out of yourself and say, okay, how am I going to use who I am to create value for a specific audience, whether that's entertainment or information or whatever. Um, 
And then, then it's a matter of saying, okay, well then how do I, what channels am I going to use to find that audience and connect with them regularly? And I think, see, as, as a business person, my greatest asset is this following of people, this audience that I have online that I have earned their trust and loyalty with the content and information and value that I've continually offered to them through my podcast, right? And so it's the same thing as, as an artist. You need to build up that, that following. And it isn't, it's no longer about the big studios. I mean, go back 20, 30 years, and it was about, okay, I got to you know, make something that a, 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 that a big studio is going to buy, and then they're going to go and get the audience for me. It, that's gone. Like, if you want to make money as an audience, it's about direct to audience. So know who that audience is, know specifically what they want, and then you go out there and you get their attention themselves and you build up that following, whether it's a list of YouTube subscribers or email subscribers who are just, you know, hanging on every little thing you create and can't wait. I mean, look what Zach Braff did with Kickstarter and making his movie, right? And my my business partner, he spent the $100 to support and he loves every day getting that update from Zach Braff going, this is what we're doing today, right? He loves that, and he can't wait to see the film. He's fully invested as a Zach Braff audience member, and Zach Braff is going direct to audience to make that. That is how you're going to make artists now. So take you, take that audience, find the channel to connect you. How are you going to create value for them? And then the magic that completes the cycle is that they're going to return value to you in the form of buying your art, supporting you, sharing you with others, encouraging you, uh, you know, tweeting to you, Facebooking to you, going, man, that was amazing. Thank you. And you get that fulfillment then out of it that I think we all want as artists from our audience. And then that re-energizes you to go and create more art for them and create more value. But it's got to be that whole cycle of value. So if I were to summarize that into two things, who's the audience and what value you're going to create for them? And how are you going to go direct to that audience and give up any delusions of, oh, I'm going to get discovered and somebody's going to go find the audience for me because that's gone now. That's not going to happen anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because it's that... That old dream that was instilled onto us as the in the '40s, the starlet that was discovered at a coffee shop. Right, right. Know, all her dreams, like that's the stuff that you know uh, is fed to us. And also in the independent film world, um, we we tend to the industry some somewhat um, tends to latch onto like those one or two um, golden moments, like the, a film that that did that. They came out of nowhere, had nobody, no stars, nothing. You know, they, they maxed out their credit cards or whatever it was, they made it, and then they became international, you know, superstars. And those stories will last for, like, 10 years. Like, I'll read blogs, they'll still refer to those, you know? And what you don't hear is, like, those are, like, one in a, a rough, a diamond in a rough, you know? Right. It just happens. But that's what we latch on to. Mm-hmm. The thing, maybe I could be the next one. Right. It's really the gold rush to mm-hmm. some extent. It's the everybody thinking like, oh, I'm gonna find my, my gold nugget, you know. And then what we, what do we learn is everybody that sold tents and picks and shovels, you know, made all the <laughs> money, money. Yeah. Because they they supply the tools for the dream, right? Right. So Hollywood's sort of the same way because there's a lot of classes like. There's a whole screenwriting teaching uh, industry, you know? So everyone who wants to be a screenwriter, there's this whole sub-industry of, like, education for that that have their, their, their own expo, you know? Then it's, like, filmmaking and acting. Like, all this, this, everybody does it to, like, learn the tools because maybe if we had the tools, then I can, I'll be that one that gets discovered. Mm. You know, I'll be that one. And um, I think it's really impressive what you guys have done over the years and just overall in the information industry online it's a it feels like a very much more um, supportive community 
you know, because filmmakers can somewhat be the most cynical too. Mm. Like I can't, you know, you get a group together, and everybody's like trying to vie for like, okay, who's going to help support my product? Mm. And then like, and then if somebody else comes up with something, like you're kind of stoked on somebody's first like accomplishment, but if, as soon as they make their second one, everybody's like, this <laughs> it's cynic, jealousy. Like, oh yeah, like, <laughs> right. it's, it's crap. You know, yeah, yeah. Like, right. like Zach Braff had a major backlash. Yeah, he did. Yeah, on Kickstarter, and it's like one of those things like. Oh, you know. Well, really, everybody should be learning from what he did because I know whether or not you like his art. There was a lot of brilliant things that he clearly understands about how the internet and the business works now, for sure. Yeah, and then other ones follow suit. You know, mm-hmm. there are a few of them. Uh, you know, a few of them are getting are getting it, and it's actually funny because in Hollywood, you'd be surprised of how still technically uh, illiterate a lot of them are. Like. Mm-hmm. The, when I was uh, pushing for my independent film, I was surprised of how little, like, just sort of basic business protocol that the that the the Hollywood industry sort of works off. Like, they'd be surprised just to see a PowerPoint presentation. Like, oh my God, what is this? Like, you're like, are you kidding me? Like, like this is like kind of standard stuff in a corporate world right. to really explain what you're doing. Um, they live off like sort of this weird. It's like this under. Like everybody knows people are not being 100% honest like they're all building up the hype because you're always here in that in that town like oh I'm working on this or I got I got this thing happening I'm meeting with this guy it's all about meeting 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 gonna happen something's gonna happen and the online space is just, it's refreshing because it's like here's your call to actions here's some action items you know you or Eric Reese stuff you know build measure learn just apply it and, and you know and that's I think the problem is, it's like in Hollywood, the, the bubble that I was involved, I saw it's, imagine the entire world and you have all your uh, drama kings and queens right. all coming to one spot <laughs> right? and like magnifying that to the nth degree. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so like trying to get anything done sometimes is like, oh my gosh, like you have to weed through that to find out the, the real people that are, that are applying, you know, good business smarts. Here's a story for you. Mm-hmm. As you finish, you can eat. The my first foray into podcasting that I the first podcast that I listened to was a podcast called uh, Sam and Jim Go to Hollywood. Okay. It was about two these two screenwriting guys that they left Minnesota. They had a restaurant that they owned, and they wanted to become t- like TV sci-fi screenwriters, and so they got a gig like. Um, by applying their writing and got like a job offer in LA they moved their family so their wives had to come with them in Pasadena so we listened to this podcast of their journey of like how they were struggling dealing with being screenwriters in LA and you could hear them talking about they would go to this meeting they got this job and then the job would end and they're not doing anything and then there's a writer's strike you know and then they, you hear about their little triumphs, like, wait, wait, we just had a great meeting, and it's like, maybe this might happen. So they had this fan base because they were just following them. Right. Like, well, what's going to happen next? Right. Like, what? And because there's no plan, they were just relaying exactly what's happening. And then their their podcast sort of went away because hmm. the last thing they told us is like, they're like, we were able to secure this deal with this Stephen King novel or something, and, and we got the blessings, and we're part of this uh, this group called uh, to nurture what they call showrunners for television. We don't know where it's going, but we're meeting good people, and then the strike happened, and then their podcast ended. Mm. So two years later, I'm watching Sci-Fi Channel, and Haven pops up, and, um, we're, and we're watching. My wife really like, and I like it, and I see 
created by Sam and Jim. No way. Like, and I was like, they did it. Nice. So wow. So you didn't, they, it was like they mentioned a little bit in the journey, but it was such a, an eye opener of like he, just hearing the pain they were going through because they were about to just, they had the, that dark moment of their soul or that inmost cave moment on their podcast right. where they literally were saying like, I think we're about to give it, in, like give up and go back to Minnesota and open up a restaurant again. Oh, wow. And like, we, like, like we put our wives to enough, you know, wow. both guys. And then that's it. That's all you hear. And then that, now they have a TV show that's on like the third, fourth season. It's too bad that they that they kind of went into that radio silent. I mean, it's awesome that they yeah, did. But yeah. imagine all the people that were listening to them, hanging on like that journey with them. And then, you know, four years later, they've forgotten about who they are and don't know that they had this show and made it, right? <laughs> and had they kept in touch yeah. with that audience and kept the relationship going... You know, I mean, clearly they, they seem to have done fine, but it's like yeah. how much more opportunity, or you know, might they have by then going, you know? Thank you. So I, you know, that, I mean, that's a great, a great story of I think, I mean, not not all of your fans, not all of your audience are going to want to know that deep a level of uh, of your journey and your struggles, but a lot of them actually will. And, you know, the ones that don't, it's fine. Like, they'll just more at a cursory level keep track of what you're doing. And, you know, so there's some people who, who will, you know, follow Joss Whedon on Twitter and, and every little thing that he does and love watching a video when he speaks at such and such conference and know exactly when he's going to be at Comic-Con. And then there's some people who they just want to know when the next Avengers is coming out, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, but you got to spend time developing that audience. Have you, have you talked on your show before about the idea of a thousand true fans? No problem. I need to. That was from... Um the Wired um, editor, right? Uh-huh. And then Seth Godin added more to that in Tribes. But yes. Yeah, and right, I'm, yeah. yeah, Seth Godin does a good job talking about it. And I'm, I'm actually not even sure. There's, a, there's also an article from maybe a decade ago. And I'm not even sure if it was Wired. So I don't know if Wired did it first or this other guy. And now it's been retold and everything. Yeah, yeah. But it's such a great concept. Because the truth is, is, as an artist, that's really all you need is a thousand true fans. I mean, if you just do the math... And and you can find us. And when we say true fans, I mean it. It, are, it, they, it is those people who who subscribe to your Twitter and want to get that email from you every week. And and uh, when you go on Kickstarter, I mean, yeah, in Zach Braff, it's easy to go. Oh well, he you know he had Scrubs and he ha- had Garden State, so everyone loved. And no wonder he got his millions of dollars. Right? But you don't even need that much to mm-hmm. to start going, right? And the truth is now, even on Kickstarter, <clears throat> to make things happen, you need to bring your own audience there. Like the number of people who get discovered on Kickstarter or who get funded just because, just because they put their thing on Kickstarter is actually very small. Mm-hmm. Most of the people who get funded on Kickstarter, they had an audience that they brought to Kickstarter, and that snowballed. And then maybe the fact that they're on Kickstarter added that other like ten or twenty percent on top of that. You know, so the point I'm trying to make here is. Rather than spending the next five years trying to get discovered, spend the next five years discovering who your true fans are. Just go and work for it and earn those fans one at a time. Because once you get to a thousand true fans, and if you just do the math and say, look, if those true fans are willing to support you to the tune of a hundred bucks a year to do your art because they buy your merchandise, they buy your DVDs, they buy whatever, they come and see you speak, they share your stuff with other people, and it's not that they're the only ones buying, but they're the ones buying regularly and then getting the, the rest of some people to, to buy your stuff as well. 
you're going to make a living as an artist. Yeah. Right? So just just spend the time. And it might not even take five years. It might only take a couple if you really go and work for it. You know, look at what some people are doing. Go and look at Walk Off the Earth, a band on, on YouTube, and oh, how yeah, in two yeah. years. I mean, yeah, they finally did have their viral video, but they worked for that. Yeah. You know, and they're still working to earn every single fan. And now they can go to Europe and fill a small stadium. And they make good music. And they make they good music. Songs. They're catchy songs. I mean, yeah, it goes without saying. you got to have good art. Yeah. You can't make, <laughs> work on your craft. Just keep working on your craft. Absolutely. But don't don't sit there and, you know, don't work on getting discovered. Work on earning a thousand true fans. Earning that audience that loves everything that you're doing. And, and you'll be able to make and get to know that, that audience, you know, really well, really intimately. Again, like, what do they love about your art? What is it that you're bringing to them? What is, how do you entertain them? How do you inspire them? How, and and make it this very symbiotic relationship between yes the self-indulgence of you and your fulfillment and what you do but then also the outward expression of the impact of the value you got to create value for other people now if you want to decide to be a self-indulgent artist that's fine but make sure you have a day job and then just make your art on the side for yourself and that's fine too yeah. i'm talking here for people who want their living to be their art right go and earn those thousand true fans and you will can and will make a living online as an artist I, I think that'd be the biggest takeaway i could give from our our conversation would be that and that was my interview with jason van orden and for all you filmmakers who are not familiar with the leaders in the online entrepreneurial online marketing space you've got to check it out you've got to check out the internet business mastery podcast with uh jason and jeremy or they call jeremy and jason i think but anyhow so you'll you'll hear more, you'll you'll learn more from Jason, and like I have, like so many others have had, and Jason and his partner Jeremy have definitely helped so so many people. Anyhow, if you like what you heard, there's more. There's I have about like 18 more minutes uh, of talking with Jason that I'm going to put as a bonus uh, episode, so you can catch more of that if you're a fan of Jason's, and again, if you're a fan of the Internet Business Mastery. You know, definitely, you probably want to hear the the other eighteen minutes. It's just kind of cool, just you know, t- talking shop with Jason. Again, thank you for tuning in to the Film Trooper podcast. If you like what you hear, uh, please leave a review um, and be honest. Like, if I'm really bad at it, just be honest. That'd be cool on iTunes. Um, but if you want to lie, I totally am down with you guys lying and saying I'm great and putting five stars. Because um, I'm starting from nothing, and I'm hoping that this uh, can build up, and uh, I need your help. And be sure to check out the bonus episode with Jason Van Orden after this. Um, it's like I'll post it up right away. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.